Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. I am Cody Fields, president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects in Greenville, South Carolina. Check us out at westminstereffects.com. I'm here with... This is Bradley Cox. I'm the lead pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. As well as... And this is John Ross, Westminster Effects artist and grumpy church nerd from Lincoln, Nebraska. Awesome. So no guests this week. So in lieu of that, we'll just dive right in. Uh, Bradley... This was all your idea of, <laughs> so if we get in trouble, I'm just going to go ahead and throw you under the bus immediately. Uh, you wanted to talk about the seeker-sensitive movement and all that kind of good stuff, so just go ahead and tee us off, and let's roll. Well, I, I don't know if it's, it, it's uh, seeker-sensitive is the place to launch from as much as sure. uh, the, the question that I raised um, with you guys was you know really about the purpose for the church gathered you know we've, mm-hmm. we we we've talked a lot about worship and um the different aspects of corporate worship in the sunday morning context we've talked about everything from aesthetics to liturgy to specific songs and we've dissected all those things and i think what we've danced around is something that i see is um, a challenge or struggle that I think many pastors, worship leaders have, um, and and churches are trying to sort out, depending on their tradition or their denomination, uh, what have you, is you know what what is the fundamental primary reason why we gather for worship, and how does that relate to evangelism? Um, because uh, you know. What I've said is that you know the seeker-sensitive movement has morphed over the last couple of decades. Yep. Um, uh, the term that I hear used more now is attractional model, mm. uh, and there's a heavy emphasis, uh, particularly in modern church context, uh, for Sunday morning being a place where evangelism takes place. We want to, we want to create an atmosphere. We want to eliminate barriers. We want to make sure people feel comfortable. Uh, We want to use accessible language because what we really want to do on Sunday morning is reach the lost. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some things to wrestle with there. I think there's some things that we need to step back and think about um, uh, from a biblical standpoint as it relates to what is it that we're here to do on Sunday morning uh, when we gather, when the ch- when the, when the church is gathering, is it is it evangelism? Is that our primary? Is that our mm-hmm. is that the leading edge of what we're doing, or is something else uh, meant to be put first? And so that's the question I'm raising. I have thoughts about it, uh, but I'll let you guys kind of <laughs> pick it up from there, and we'll go. Go for it, John. That really is is the. Uh, I think it's a question that that if people aren't asking they they should is is the sunday morning service key on service there and i'll I'll get to that is the sunday morning service is it for those who are already in the church or is it for those who are in the church and those who we want to bring in to the church who we want to spread the gospel to i'm not sure exactly where i'm going with this i was thinking that you were going to say something first um, <laughs> it's all your fault, Bradley. <laughs> well, and and I think John, like you, 
you you raise you know another um i guess an, another angle on this question is like is is it an either or thing is it a both and thing for sure i i think there there's something you know there we can ask some questions about this topic that could lead us to make some conclusions about you know because I, I think the maybe the easy answer that might be in a lot of people's mind when they hear me raise this question is well it's not either or bradley it's both and uh, and and maybe we should give the the and of both and so it, if if evangelism is or could be a primary purpose for the church gra- uh, gathering what is the other that we're talking about and i think the other is uh, to make disciples, um, and and in and making disciples, I don't just mean converts. I mean discipling sure. people and worshiping and glorifying God. I think there is that that nobody's going to say that we when the church gathers we shouldn't be discipling people and that we shouldn't be worshiping and glorifying God, which is something that I think is more bent, or at least least bent towards believers. This is believers only can worship and glorify God. The the mm-hmm. unregenerate, yep. something's got to happen. You know, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless you're born again, you won't even see the kingdom. <laughs> you know, uh, so the the unregenerate, the unsaved, the unchurched, um, they can't participate. Mm-hmm in worshiping, glorifying God, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ until something supernatural, powerful happens. And so th- this is where I think John was, was, was headed, is that are we, are we here for the unbelieving or the believing or both? And there's, there's something to be said for uh, the, the unbeliever can't participate and if they participate in certain things, it, it, God yeah, might it could kill be them. it could be harmful. As, I mean, as Paul says in First Corinthians about about taking communion, um, I, I I think I've kind of landed on kind of a one A and then one B, or you could even say one C, or maybe even two. I don't know. Uh, where the primary uh, the primary purpose of the gathering on Sundays is for the edification of the church where i mean it's it's called the church for a reason right (laughs) it's not just a bunch of people who didn't have anything better to do on a sunday morning though that is the case for some people um and if we should also well not if we should also keep the unconverted in mind uh being clear explaining certain things i mean of course there are certain things that you know they're just going to have to learn uh, not that's not to be callous. Um, I don't remember who I was listening to uh, recently, but I was listening to another podcast uh, about using theological language, mm. and they made uh, this is a tiny bit of a rabbit trail. They used the analogy of of rap over the last twenty five to thirty years, <laughs> where people said we don't understand what you're saying, mm-hmm. so they started rapping faster, <laughs> and then they said, okay, I guess I can get that. And then, well, I still don't get it. So then they started rapping faster while mumbling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where it's, hey, let's, it, instead of only catering to that super surface level, um, hey, we'll get to the deep stuff later. Um, I think a skilled, uh, proficient 
preacher of the word would be able to speak to everyone in some sense. Uh, if, if they don't know Jesus, then, hey, repent of your sins and trust in the grace of God uh, via the atonement. Yeah, I mean, think of it. Oh, where uh, if, you're, if you're already covered, then, then we have more, uh, more details we can get into. Think of it like a multi-course meal. You know, uh, the, uh, one of the analogies that I've heard used many times I've used it myself is, uh, you know, some people need, uh, you know, milk and bread. Other people need steak and potatoes. And, uh, and those yep. same people are, are at the same table at the same time. worship in the first place. I mean, not the reasons that we come up with, but, but the reason just in general is that we are, we are beckoned by the call of God, by his command to go and worship him, to receive his gifts, um, and to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, a sacrifice of praise. I mean, this is the way it's been done since the Old Testament. Um, if we look at our modern worship services, and I say our modern worship services in the, in the sense of, I know what you guys do, you guys kind of know what we do. I'm not talking like the collective uh, are, um, but I mean, e- even for churches that don't, you know, consistently do like a liturgical format, I mean, we have the... Uh, uh, the praise and, and thanksgiving piece, uh, you know, which is in, in many churches, primarily music, uh, where uh, the people of God raise a, raise a song of, of, uh, of praise, to, praise to him, um, using the gifts that he himself has given to his people. Um, that, that, you know, that's, the, that's the piece that, that, the, that the, the, for Pete's sake, that the believer uh, can accomplish. Um, and, and that's what the believer is called to. Uh, but at the same time, in that teaching portion, um, that not only edifies the church, like you were talking about, Cody, but it also, uh, because the Word of God itself is a very means of grace, that it itself is, is, is what works the conversion of the hearts of men. It's obviously not our doing. It can't be. Um, that it is the Word of God that, char- that causes that change and that development into discipleship within us, that it, it can and should uh, focus on both the, the believer— uh, and the and the newcomer uh, who, for whatever reason, may view church as a um, a safe space and uh, has something going on, and it's like, well, this is where I'm going to go because I don't know what else to do. I mean, we don't know what situations are on the hearts of the people in our congregation, uh, at least not all of them, and or, or or why a visitor may be in our midst, um, you know. But we are called. Uh, to serve them, to serve them uh, with the gospel after showing them that they need a savior. Uh, and and that's, that's a universal thing. I mean, that's something that we all need reminded of. Um, I think it's, I think it can be easy for a uh, mature, uh, seasoned uh, churchgoer uh, to become comfortable in uh, in their faith and just like, yeah, yeah, I'm saved. Yeah. What of it? Uh, but to remember and to be consistently taught that the reason for Emmanuel was to be the propitiation for our sin is a constant reminder that we all need. And it's the very truth, uh, that, that God uses to work change in the hearts of, uh, of the unbeliever. Um, and I think that that kind of speaks to my biggest beef with 
the seeker-sensitive movement as a whole. And I don't mean this as a shot across the bow and calling everybody a heretic. Uh, but there is, for example, I, uh, I listened to a Rick Warren sermon for some reason recently. Dude, come on, um, man. <laughs> don't hate on Rick Warren, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but he never really got to the gospel. It ultimately was just a bunch of law. Hmm. It was, it was ten steps to make these things better. Uh, it there was no, hey, if you're not converted, you're still under wrath and you need the grace of God. It really wasn't even. You really can't please God in the first place and do these good things without the grace of God in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that ugh, that really left a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, because the people there who didn't know Jesus, when he presented Jesus, they had no reason yeah. uh, other than, well, he might make my marriage better or he might help me out with my finances. Right. For sure. I mean, the, well, the self-help uh, gospel, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Which, I, this is why this bothers, this issue bothers me, mm-hmm. is that in a lot of what you might call attractional model churches— that have this um, prominent, um, I don't know, just initiative or vision to reach the lost on Sunday morning, what I think tends to go along with that is some level of maybe dumbing down the gospel or bringing in some of this self-help, me-centered kind of gospel that in, in order to make people feel more comfortable and, and in the hopes of inviting them in. And, and I know that there might be people listening to this that think, well, Bradley just doesn't care about lost people. And that is just absolutely not true. I, I, I care about them deeply. And I also care about the church. And that's why I think it's so important that we get this right. That we, that, and here's my opinion is that I think what should be clear in every local church uh, to its membership, to the believing community, is that our primary focus, our primary purpose for gathering is to worship and glorify God and be discipled as mm-hmm. believers. And that the pastors and leaders and teachers and worship leaders, uh, elders, lead the church with that being their primary and first focus with a mindfulness toward the unbelieving that may be present among us. Um, and I, I take that opinion from Scripture because let's just mm-hmm. stop and think for a minute. Um, when Think about baptism. Think about communion. Think about liturgy. We've talked about liturgy. Think about the creeds. Those are all things for believers. Yep unbelievers reciting the Nicene Creed doesn't even make sense. Mm-hmm. We believe, you know, no, no, they don't believe yet and, and they need to believe, but that's why I say we, we have to get this right in Hebrews. It's the verse everyone uses to keep church front and center is, um, you know, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, but in so doing spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And I don't think that means in a generic you know, sort of benevolent social gospel kind of way, I think that's particularly 
focused on kingdom there when we talk about love and good deeds that 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 the context of the scripture is 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 pointing towards kingdom things Mm -hmm. um so i think it's important that we get this right um and that we realize that the primary purpose for the church gathered is to worship and glorify god and disciple believers but we do that with a mindfulness towards the unbelieving i think it's really interesting uh we always hear these studies of christianity shrinking in America, and even though most of uh, the shrinkage is from the mainline liberal denominations, uh, you know, at best... I thought it was from the pool uh, on this cold morning. <laughs> I was in the pool! <laughs> it um, shrinks? Any- <laughs> the church, of course. Anyway. Yeah. The, right. Um, though, you know, we look at our friends in the Southern Baptist Convention, or maybe your Missouri Synod, uh, John, since we have to get a Lutheran John reference Thanks, in there bro. somewhere, uh, for the most part, it's either very slow growth or stagnation at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of that has really kind of come around with the advent of these attractional seeker sensitive models that are all about come and see. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, most of the time, all those do is pull members other from churches. other churches, whether traditional or maybe there was a scandal that broke out at another church. Um, what has, and I think I got this from Todd Friel, so take it with a grain of salt (laughs) because he can get a little over the top. (laughs) Um, what, what has seriously dwindled in the last 25, 30 years has been actually going out and telling people about Jesus, Mm. uh, regardless of what you think about the people in downtown Greenville who will hand you a tract that you really don't want to read or knocking on doors in the neighborhoods around the church like we just don't do that and then we're surprised that we're not growing as much Mm. um where you know it's with a lot of the attractional stuff if it's ultimately self-help people don't have to get up at at 9 10 sunday mornings they can sleep in uh and watch oprah or dr oz or dr phil for that for sure. Uh, there's nothing really there for them if it really just kind of stays at the super surfacey. hey, here's a couple steps that will make your day a little bit better. No promises. Yeah, though. I mean, you know, there, there's there's a lot to unpack in the, in the last few minutes here. Um, and, you know, I, I'm going to try to sort my thoughts out in, in the right order because a lot of things uh, <laughs> uh, kind of... The filing cabinets opening. Up, definitely. Um, so, so my church, Christ Lincoln, we, uh, about 12, 14 years ago, started a service that was at that time called Room 211. And, you, you know, our, our listeners have heard me talk about this before. It's now called 211 Worship because it's not a room anymore. Um, that was a just... Well, yeah, at one point there was like a vision for couches and stuff and like that that never transpired. Um, but the idea is that it's, it, it's taken off of Acts 2.11, and everyone heard the gospel in their own language. Now, for the longest time, and still occasionally, um, that is done via parable preaching, uh, which, which is a, a, a type of homiletic or, or type of sermon crafting style that uses a, uh, a relevant culturally relevant uh, item to illustrate uh, some point of scripture. 
uh, or some some truth about the kingdom uh, in the spirit of of Christ using parables uh, in in the sense of you know the kingdom of God is like you know so on and so forth. And there have been there have been other things that 211 has done over the years. I mean, uh, testimony discussion panels and, and things like that. Uh, but the parable preaching has has been the has been the mainstay. Uh, un, you know, until the until more recently, we've we've had some leadership changes and some direction changes. And part of the reason why that was done is the target demographic for what was to room 211 uh, was like 24 to 36 male unchurched. Like that was kind of the, the target demographic of our evangelism efforts as a collective congregation. Now, it didn't really play out, in, in my opinion, uh, in, in the way they necessarily hope maybe maybe they would disagree uh probably i i don't know but what i can say with the parable preaching piece is it's so easy when you start with the good intention to use a sermon illustration that is you know christmas movies or uh toys or uh anything anything pop culture with the intention of hooking on to the cultural sensibilities or the, or the cultural knowledge of people. It can be so easy to get that hook in there and stay with that, and you end up preaching on a movie or preaching on a songwriter um, or preaching on a book rather than preaching on Christ. I think that the parable of preaching is a great model. I mean, Jesus used it. Um, but he used it in such a way to succinctly summarize, you know, what what he what the truth is he was trying to get across, because obviously uh, he knew what the people needed to hear, and that is the law, and that is the gospel, and that takes us back to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning. Um, you know, Cody, you were saying you were listening to the the Warren sermon, and it, it just kind of left you left you empty. Um, there's a, a Lutheran theologian, C.F.W. Walther, uh, one of the first founders of the Lutheran Church in America. It's a lot of initials, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's without his like Ph.D. and all that, or whatever he had on the end, uh, Master of Divinity, yeah, you know, so on and so forth. But uh, one of his most well-known quotes uh, comes from his book, The Proper Distinction of Law and Gospel, uh, and that is without the law, the gospel loses its sweetness. Without the gospel, yep. the law loses its, its uh, effectiveness. And that proper distinction, that dichotomy, you know, needs to exist. Uh, you know, on Saturday nights, if, if I'm up late, you know, can't sleep or something, I'll, uh, I'll watch the Planet Shakers live stream. Um, I'm generally a fan of, of their music, their modern stuff, you know, whatever, but, um, and their basis. Oh my gosh. Josh Ham (laughs) is epic. Um, but it's the very touchy feely. Jesus is my boyfriend. Um, you know, he can, and he, you know, God will help you overcome addiction and over, you know, help you overcome, uh, self harm and, and, 
all of these physical left-hand kingdom worldly things, and that is completely true because, and this is the part that's often left out, because the gospel of Christ changes the heart. And once that heart is changed, yep. Yep. then all the other stuff falls away because Christ is living in you through the power of the Spirit. So, Bradley, I have three quotes from church history, and we'll let you wrap this up. Okay. Um, and we'll get into our recommended reading and all that kind of good stuff. I'm a big fan of uh, Antonicene. Uh, it is Antonicene, right? Mm-hmm. Pre-Nicaea. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm a big fan of the pre-Nicene guys uh, because we get a taste of Christianity before it had any shred of uh, cultural approval. Yep. or governmental approval. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of see it at its rawest form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of what they say is really, really similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of it's just straight up dead on with what we're saying in 2018, as opposed to what a lot of uh, scholars out there will try and say. It's all oh, this primordial thing and stuff got made up at Nicaea, whatever. It's nonsense. Uh, so first one, Irenaeus in 180. It will be God's good pleasure to take out a church that will be sanctified by fellowship with his son. Clement of Alexandria in 195. Now it is not the place, but the assemblies of the elect that I call the church. And a little bit longer of one from Tertullian in 197. We are a body knit together as such by a common religious profession, by a unit of discipline, and by a bond of common hope. We meet together as an assembly and congregation so that, offering up prayer to God with united force, we may wrestle with him in our supplications. God delights in this, quote-unquote, violence. We pray, too, for the emperors, for their ministers, and for all in authority, for the welfare of the world, for the prevalence of peace, and for the delay of the final consummation. We assemble to read our sacred writings. Mm. Yeah. I mean, amen. (laughs) I, it couldn't be said better, in my opinion. And, and I, I mean, Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world. And we, we, we come together as the body of Christ. We know we're a part of a larger whole, but we have these little gatherings all over in Lincoln, Nebraska and in Greer, South Carolina. And we, we gather and we glorify God. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the unbelieving world gets to witness that. And I think the order, I think we keep our doors open. Uh, I think, like Paul said, you know, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. Uh, mm-hmm. To the one not under the law, I became as one not under the law. And, and what I see in the heart of Paul, who is an evangelist, but every letter that he wrote in the New Testament is written to the church. It's written, written to the believing. Mm-hmm. And so what I see in Paul is I see a man who was, was, was committed and focused on discipling and leading the churches that he planted to glorify God and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Um, but he would also remove every barrier, yep. every hindrance that he could in order to welcome into the conversation, welcome in with questions, the unbelieving, yeah. uh, so that they could be saved, so they could be converted. And I think, um, th- I don't think that's a clear cut both and mm-hmm. if, is, is my thing. I think it, it's easy to say, well, it's, it, when the church gathers on Sunday morning, 
we are both evangelistic and we are also about worshiping God and discipling believers. I think there's an order there. And I think the order is important for the church to be healthy, to be focused, and for, I mean, I'll just say it, for true conversion. Where, where, you know, it's, it, 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 the, the revivalist movement of the last, what, 100 years or so, or uh, uh, give or take, is, is what's given rise to this. Make a decision for Christ. Raise your hand. Repeat the prayer after me. Uh, and after, you know, a sermon on how God's just going to make your life better. Right. And, and, and that's so problematic to me. And it's easy to get on Twitter after a service and say, you know, X number of people wrote, re, you know, raised their hand and repeated the prayer today. And, and let's celebrate totally that. Totally spon- spontaneously got baptized. Exactly. No, <laughs> quote, unquote. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to disparage, you know, church, churches that do that. I'm just saying mm-hmm. we, we, need to, we need to gather, we need to worship. And, you know, I, I see Paul in Corinthians talking about spiritual gifts, and I'm not here to make an argument, you know, about continuationism or cessationism, this, you know, today. But when he talks about spiritual gifts, he pictures the unbelieving community in 1 Corinthians 14 as watching, listening, and that when spiritual gifts operate in a biblical fashion, the, the unbelieving community is supposed to respond with, God is among you, mm-hmm. right? And I think that when, when we gather for worship, that should be our goal is that disciples and believers are engaged in glorifying God and growing in the knowledge of the Lord and that whoever may be among us that doesn't believe would say, man, God's in this place and, uh, that they would be reached that way. I think that's, uh, that's important. So, you know, I want to, I, Brad, I know Bradley, I know you have to get out of there, get out of here real quick, but what I, I I wanted to add something just to tack on to the end. I think you are exactly right. Uh, you know, I, I want to add a bit of practicality, uh, to this. Um, and that every time that, you know, in Scripture, uh, with the, in the time of the apostles, when, you know, so many people came to Christ, it'll tell us in, in Scripture, or, or so many people uh, believed, it's because of God acting through the apostles, through the disciples, and the actions that God has done through his people. And, and going back to, uh, to what you, you know, kind of what you said at the beginning have been, have been advocating for the, the whole time uh, is that, you know, when, we, when the disciples, when, when we by association were given the great commission to go and make disciples, it wasn't get them, get them to join your, your gatherings first and then that's how you make them disciples. Let's go and make disciples. I mean, go do that. And we need to spur each other on, as you so, you know, as, as you reminded us, to go and do that. And if they want to come into, in, into the worship space, welcome them. Break down those barriers. But at the same time, we have to go. We have to go and, and, and spread that word that God has put in us. So... There, there's a practical advice. Right Tell on. people about Jesus. Right on. That's that's the practical advice. So Bradley, uh, right so Bradley, on. what should we read? Well, uh, I, I, this book is not um, entirely relevant to today's topic, but it is very relevant to 
some things that have happened this week. Um, my heart is heavy today because of, um, is it Inland Hills Church? Um, Pastor Andrew, I don't know how to say his last name, that committed suicide this mm-hmm. week after battling depression oh, and no. anxiety. And um, it, it's just, my heart is heavy. And this is not obviously in, I mean, just in the last year, I think I could name two other pastors who have done the same thing. And um, I, I fully, fully acknowledge clinical depression uh, and anxiety as legitimate um, and a legitimate disease. Sure. And um, and and it seems as though the aunt, pastor Andrew this week that that's what he was battling. Um, so I think that's. That's that that's something sort of unto itself, but I, I think it it's just a reminder to me of just how important it is for me to be thinking well, praying well, leaning into scripture and truth and surrounding myself with people um who can speak into my life and hold me accountable. Uh, because uh, this this is a book, Cody, that you actually gave me. Oh, that's that's one of the uh, G three things that yeah. we had extras of. It's called "Dangerous Calling" by Paul David Tripp, and it, it he just he goes there in a real um, just a real way, but also filled with grace about and and this applies to worship pastors, lead pastors, associate pastors, anybody you know, a lay volunteer leader in a church. Um the calling is dangerous for several reasons and um you know, there I think there are false pressures and um wrong notions about the church and what we're doing and why. So this is how the book's relevant to what we're talking about that a lot of times breed anxiety. Um breed you know, um, you know, we talk about burnout. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of those things come not because of clinical issues going on, but, but lies that have been believed to be true, uh, lies about what my calling is and, 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 and who I am in as a pastor or as a worship leader relative to the people that I lead. And so he, he just goes into great detail about some of the real challenges, potential pitfalls, that we could all face in ministry. And um, I, I just wanted to recommend it because um, soul care is important. Mm. When, you're, yeah. when you're in ministry, um, soul care is, is important. And uh, so this is a great book, Dangerous Calling by Paul David Tripp. And on a, on a lighter note, not just in reformdom, but all of Christianity the best mustache in Christianity was Paul Tripp. <laughs> hey, there you he, go. He, 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 rival, he is rivaled in the world only by Tom Selleck and Raleigh Fingers. <laughs> I believe now denominationalism, blah, blah, blah. Matthew Harrison, the president of the LCMS, he's got, he's got one for the ages. So they, they should have a, have a I don't know, man. off. I don't know. Like, he, can't, he can't do a stash with a scarf like Tripp does. <laughs> no, he uh, he's a collar sort of guy. Uh. <laughs> nah. So, John, your reading for us. Uh, it actually uh, flows kind of out. Did you skip again? What now? Did you skip again? You skipped a couple weeks ago. No. No, I didn't skip. Oh, okay. Come on, man. Okay. I okay. was in the middle of something. <laughs> I was pulling up my notes. 
Judas. Oh, okay. Excuse. It actually Excuses. flows uh, rather uh, rather nicely out of uh, out of what Bradley was talking about, and that there's there's darkness and brokenness in the world. We as we as the church, as God's people, are called to fight it uh, with the, with yeah. the sword of the spirit. And uh, and hearing hearing that news, it, it you know that's very similar to some news that that we had at our congregation about one of our you know former workers uh, uh, who who also uh, took his life, uh, and and that's that's tough. Uh, it's tough to talk about. Or you think I don't even know the guy, uh, but there's there's darkness, and there there's a book. Uh, that I'm going to be recommend this week. Uh, that the introduction says it's for all those who are broken and beaten down and washed up, and and by my math, that's that's all of us. And the name of the book is the Ragamuffin yeah, Gospel. Yeah. The name of the book is the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. Uh, if uh, if any of you out there are as I am fans of uh, the late artist Rich Mullins, uh, this is the book that got him his and his band's nickname as Ragamuffins. Um, I mean, tying this this a little more closely to our theme for the day, in a world that predominantly views modern worship as bringing our praise and our effort to God, uh, as if we have you know intrinsic value inside of ourselves that uh, that we offer up, uh, uh, not not just for, I mean, obviously all of that glorifies Him, but there's there's a growing trend that places the importance on our actions rather than rather than you know. God's gifts to us and us returning that praise and thanks to him with those gifts. Um, this book reminds us that we really don't have anything of value to offer because we are broken. We are beaten down. Um, but because of the inexpressible love of God and his perfect will, God provided the absolute value, the ultimate value. Not the reckless love. Well, <laughs> dude, that's so seven episodes ago. Uh, or, <laughs> y'all, it's been more than that. Well, this is like episode 14 or something. But 13. 13, 13 officially. 13. Excluding bonus episodes. Oh, true. Um, I mean, this book reminds us that that we come with with no value, but God provided the ultimate value in the death and resurrection of Christ to pay for our sin. And, and that is the gospel message that gives us life, and gives life to the unbeliever when they hear it. And so for us as a church, to answer the call of the gospel, not only to hear it and believe it and take it to heart ourselves, but to take the joy that that gospel gives us and to tell the world that Jesus is real, that Jesus is the payment for our iniquity, and that Jesus lives. And that word, that very word of God, will bring people to faith. And in worship, we give thanks to God for that. And we teach one another how to live it and how to spread it. And to empower one another by the gospel to do so. No. Cody, what have you got to us? For us. To us, for us. For us. Forest? <laughs> I have... Forest! I have... Uh, 
I have the uh, the book from which I derived those quotes earlier, uh, since I'm big on knowing uh, who our spiritual forebears were and what they said, what they believed, which is a whole lot closer to what we believe today than what we realize. And it is a dictionary of early Christian beliefs. And it has, it's broken up into topical form. So if you wanted stuff on the church or Christian assembly or the canon, literally anything, <laughs> almost literally anything, nice. it'll have uh, myriad passages from a whole lot of dead guys. And uh, it's, it's been really guys. useful to me, even on a personal level of, of showing Jehovah's Witnesses that I've engaged with, like, look, the deity of Jesus was not made up at Nicaea in 325. Here's a guy in 107 <laughs> saying the exact same things I'm saying. And, you know, good stuff like that. So check it out. Dictionary of Early Christian Beliefs. Very good. So if you're actively writing and performing music and would like to be an official Westminster artist and even get your song played at the end of one of these episodes, fill out our application at westminstereffects.com. This week features Westminster artist Mario Camarena of Chon and the song Waterslide. If you're in the UK, you can catch Chon touring with Coheed and Cambria, which I'm geeking out a little bit over. That's and I kind of really wish that Bill really would. Cool. Yeah, I wish that would head our way with Sean and Coheed. So follow us and leave a comment on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Leave us a five-star review as always. We don't care if it's honest. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Peace.